My mother, she had the intuition. She said, you know, you should play the piano, son. You should go to the piano. And I was like, okay, let's, let's see how that works. And, you know, it clicked. That's Jonathan Baptiste, a scion of one of New Orleans' legendary musical families who's currently making a ruckus on the New York jazz scene. I'm David Gorin, and this is Jazz Stories from Jazz at Lincoln Center. On this edition, we'll hear an excerpt from an interview I did with Jonathan in August 2012. Coming from the Baptiste family in New Orleans, you still have to hustle. And coming to New York is even more of a hustle because nobody in New Orleans is in New York. You in New Orleans, that's a name that everyone knows. And it opens some doors, but at the same time, you have to differentiate yourself at that point. But then you go to New York and you're amongst the greatest musicians in the world. It's a mecca for art and culture. So you got to figure out how to, number one, dispel the stereotypes of what a New Orleans musician is all about. It's not just a party musician. It's not just a musician who plays intuitively and doesn't study. I mean, I went to Juilliard. I mean, that's already breaking that stereotype. Sometimes it's degrading when you come up north and they think about the music as lesser of an artistic expression or as high art. It's, it's not that to them. So I remember coming here and, and it, it took a lot of different tactics and um, understanding how people viewed me to really break into the scene. It's been working out very well in New York. I love it here. But um, that's definitely something that was an early struggle. Did you feel like you had a little extra to prove because you came from New Orleans, that you had to beat people's assumptions? I didn't feel I had extra to prove. I felt like I had to do more in order for people to think what they would think of another musician about the level of intellect or artistry of what I was doing. Just because, you know, also a big part of New Orleans music is having fun. And Louis Armstrong had fun, but he was still a genius. Anybody can, I mean, all of the greats had fun. If you're not having fun, I mean, why are you even doing it? But I guess that's something that um, coming from New Orleans, people can misconstrue and think that it's not serious. Yeah, I guess it's sort of like gospel, you know, it hits you. Mm. It hits you where you live, right? you know, in a way. The uplifting spirit of music and the nature of how that affects people as soon as they hear it is something that you can't get more serious than that. Tell me about the Batiste family. How far does it go back? What's it like being a part of that legacy? Mm-hmm. The Batiste family is one of the largest musical families in New Orleans, which from its origin is probably around the generation of my grandfather up until I have a lot of younger cousins that are playing now. It's been four to five generations. It's really a massive presence on the New Orleans music scene and second line music and funk music and jazz music. I studied with the great Alvin Baptiste, the clarinetist. He's a distant relative of mine, but he was um, a big part of my development ever since I started playing. He's like a very close relative, even though we didn't grow up in the same circles all the time. Of course, you've you heard about the passing of Uncle Lionel Baptiste, one of the great 
personalities, characters, musicians in New Orleans music. Milton Batiste, also another brass band trumpeter. Harold Batiste, you know, he was in the producing scene and he was songwriting and he was in L.A., but he was a part of the New Orleans music scene as well, as well as teaching at UNO in the jazz world. My family, the Batiste brothers, a number of musicians. It just opens so many things in my musical concept coming from that at the beginning. And then just playing gigs early on and understanding that you have to have your own voice in music. You have to be yourself. You have to have fun. That was something that um, it affected me until this day. And now I look back on it and I didn't realize that that wasn't a normal situation to grow up in. You look at it and you say, well, I guess it's like this for everybody. But then you come to New York and it's like, wait, a minute, are you going somewhere else in the United States or the world? And it's not like that. So it's truly it was a blessing. It, it really seems like New Orleans is special that, that has these musical families, these dynasties, really. Yes. New Orleans has so many musical families. It's like something is in the water. They just continue to develop and produce these great musicians in all types of genres of music. And, I mean, this has been the way it's been since the turn of the century. There's got to be something about that New Orleans culture that's making this happen. Tell me more specifically about the Batiste Brothers. Well, the Batiste Brothers is a band that's compromised of my father, my uncle. I have three uncles that play in it, and I have two older cousins that play in it. They were full-time musicians, and they still are. They've been playing in New Orleans and uh, nationally. I guess it's been about 40 years. I remember, you know, there was a time my dad was telling me stories about this when I was coming up. And he started playing with them when he was about 16 years old. And it used to be David Batiste and the Gladiators. My Uncle David is an organist, and he played with the Meters for a while. My cousin Russell, who's in the band, he's playing with the Meters now the drummer for the meters. And there's, um, there's a lot of history in what they did. I mean, they did stuff with Jackie Wilson. They did stuff with Isaac Hayes. They played all around, just like it's either a backing band or it's their own band touring around the United States in the van, doing all kinds of stuff that created <laughs> folklore. You know, people talk about it. And I wasn't there, but it seems like it was a great time. What are some of those stories with some of that folklore? They were traveling to go and record in, I think it was Bugalusa, Louisiana, which is country. It's like the boondocks, man. <laughs> so they're going to the boonies in the Baptiste Brothers van. They got to the studio and they were working on the parts. And then uh, they were doing this song called Funky Soul. Somebody put it up on YouTube, actually. You can hear it. And um, at this time, it was David Baptiste and the Gladiators. That was the name of the band. They were all like either late teens or in their 20s. And Isaac Hayes comes to the studio and they're working on these parts for Funky Soul. And um, he hears it and he's like, man, you got to put this horn part in there. So he teaches them this horn part that um, it actually ended up making it on the record just spontaneously. You know, he's in the studio and they're just jamming. He's like, man, you should put this horn part on there. And that horn part is serious. So, I mean, just hearing stories like that, uh, hearing about when they were on the road and they're in the club and they got a duck behind the amp because the fight break out in the juke joint. Like real, <laughs> real old time, just jamming in, in like 
hole in the wall somewhere and then going to the Apollo the next day, playing on the main stage. Just stuff like that is it's remarkable, you know. What are some of your earliest musical memories and what did you get started playing first? I got started playing drums first and I would play in the Baptiste Kids band and I would also play, this is when I was about nine, I would be playing gigs and I would be singing and doing stuff with my family, playing in the band with them. And then as time went on, I started to play with Alvin Batiste and the Jastronauts. When I was about 15, I played with Donald Harrison Jr. around that time. I played with James Andrews around that time, and I started a band with a buddy of mine, Trombone Shorty. I left when I was 17 to go to Juilliard, and he continued to be still his band now, same guys as when we were like kids, 14, 15. It's just been a lot of different influences from very early on that have shaped me because of the early experiences just playing in front of people. I remember playing gigs and not really understanding that, you know, I don't know a whole lot about theory or harmony, <laughs> but I, I've learned this music some kind of way. So my ear was developed in a way that I'm very appreciative of now and also entertaining. See some great, great entertainers in New Orleans and you're like, whoa. Look at how the people react to this. And you don't realize as a youngster, you're just soaking it up. So now I'm pulling out all of these tricks, all of these things I just have just from years and years of being in New Orleans as a kid, soaking it up. Right. It's one and the same in a way. You know, it's not like you're just pulling out tricks. It's sort of like to take the music to a higher level or, you know, get the audience more involved. Right. You're taking it to another level. I say tricks just because... It's not a trick for me, but it seems like a trick whenever I'm doing it because in New York, nobody knows about it, really. <laughs> so I feel like I'm pulling out an ace in the hole or something, but it's just really all I know. What are some of those things? Some people say <laughs> it's not what you play, but it's how you play it. It's a certain conviction, a certain attitude that you hear in a lot of, not just New Orleans musicians, but great musicians really understand how to inject the charisma into the sound and how to inject a certain enthusiasm that has so much conviction, it can make a room full of people cheer and go silent, or vice versa. It's just incredible. When you see people do that, something about that, the more you hear it, you soak it up. It, it sinks into you, and you understand how to do it, even though it's very intangible. It's not something that I can say, like, you just dig into the piano more, or you blow louder. It's not about volume or strength. I don't know how to explain it other than just a vibration that you project from yourself. Louis Armstrong, I mean, Jelly Roll Martin, they just had a certain, it's a vibration. We had a show last night, and you can see the video of us in the street in the Lower East Side. We call them love riots. Well, we left the club, and we had 300 people follow us from inside the club 10 blocks to another place where the after party was. We blocked the streets off and we were just playing, not even um, on the sidewalk, just in the middle of the street. People just following us. And it was um, it was similar to a second line, but we were playing our music, which I mean, I have a lot of guys from Juilliard and no one in the band other than myself is from New Orleans. But that is reminiscent of a New Orleans thing where you take it to the streets. So you were playing drums with the family band, and then you switched over to piano at your mother's suggestion. Did you have teachers? Did you just start? Were you already, like, banging around on it? 
I had an interesting situation learning the piano because I started both classically and by ear at the same time. I started by ear because I was playing gigs with my cousins and eventually with a lot of musicians around New Orleans as soon as I started playing. But I also, upon my mother's instruction, studied classical piano and had a teacher my entire time in New Orleans until I moved to New York. I've been studying classical here with William Doglin for the last eight years. So, I mean, there was a point, actually, when I was at Juilliard, I had a lesson with him for about a year and a half every single day. I love the repertoire. I mean, Beethoven and Chopin. Chopin in particular, I feel like he's like a jazz musician. If I was alive during that time, I would probably write music that aimed to get to that sound. Chopin is like, man. What brought you to New York? And, you know, did you think I'm going to come to New York and be a jazz musician or I'm just here to go to school? What was your motivation? When I came to New York, I wanted to become a band leader. But first, I wanted to perform with musicians that I admired in the jazz scene and in other forms of music. So um, I moved here when I was 17 and I attended Juilliard one because I wanted to study classical and I also wanted to study with um, Kenny Barron the pianist but also I wanted to be on the scene in New York and I wanted to if I wasn't working I wanted to have something productive that I was doing to develop myself so I said I'll stay at Juilliard and I'll also work on building this music career and building this music world that I imagined only in New Orleans, in my mind, you know, going out and playing with different I loved Roy Hargrove, and I got the opportunity to play with him by practically following him around New York City for two years as a teenager, breaking into uh, master classes at schools that I didn't go to, uh, going to his gig and sitting in. Got to play with Abby Lincoln during the last years that she was touring. I got to play with Curtis Fuller and Lewis Hayes Band. I got to play with Winton, of course, when I was 19, in the septet. I got to play with Cassandra Wilson for many years with um, alongside New Orleans musicians, Herlin Riley and Reginald Ville. So it, it was something that I, I wanted to do, and I pursued it while I was in school. Then I formed my band at the same time, the trio, my musical brothers, man, Philip Keene and Joe Saylor. We did the record at the Rubin Museum when we were 19. We've been playing together ever since, and... It's just been like um, a constant growth of all of those things, playing with these great musicians I admire, playing with my band, Stay Human, doing the stuff in education, be it at Juilliard or being it at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem, anything like that. I've wanted to do all the things that I'm doing now when I moved here, basically, and it's just continued to develop. Did you ever expect a gig like the National Jazz Museum? I mean, me being in the position of artistic directorship of anything, when I was 17, moving to New York was not in my my worldview. <laughs> I didn't really uh, conceive of anything like that until I started to really find out education is something I'm very interested in, not only because it's fun to teach, but you learn a whole lot by teaching. And... um it was something that I had a natural thing for. I mean, I had a natural thing for relating music to people that 
may seem complex in putting it in layman's terms. So that's something that at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem, I've been doing since um, Lauren gave me the opportunity to be a part of it. You know, during the Jazz Is Now class, uh, we created a jazz video game with some kids last summer. Like, they didn't know anything about creating a jazz video game or jazz music. And we brought somebody in from MIT and we basically learned together. Or something like um, the concerts we do in the summertime or spontaneous combustion, an open jam session down on the Lower East Side. I mean, it's, it's just incredible that I'm actually able to do this stuff, you know. That was pianist Jonathan Baptiste from an interview recorded in August 2012. You can catch Jonathan in performance on our New Orleans Piano Kings program, also featuring Henry Butler and Ellis Marsalis. You can hear it at Jazz at Lincoln Center's radio program archive, www.jalc.org jazzcast. You can find all of our jazz stories at jalc.org and on iTunes. Jazz Stories is produced at Murray Street by myself, David Gorin, with Alexa Lim and Stephen Rath. Support comes from Jazz at Lincoln Center. Consider becoming a member and experiencing America's great jazz art at Rose Hall, our house of swing. You'll find schedules and more at jalc.org.